ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, you are listening to Ratchet and Respectable with Demetria L. Lucas. I'm recording this episode later than I usually do. I had to drive to the Black Beauty Supply Store in the Valley. I'm getting my hair braided tomorrow and I forgot to pick up the hair, so I had to run out. As I am recording this, there is currently a versus occurring with Ashanti and Keisha Cole. It's not something that I had planned to watch. No shade. I was an Ashanti fan back in the day. I was actually listening to Unfoolish recently. I was stuck in traffic singing at the top of my lungs. Ashanti made good music. She wrote good music. But as I'm taping, the verses is occurring. I popped in for a minute just to see if I was missing anything. And I'm being generous when I say a minute. Keisha Cole has shown up by that point. I read that she was an hour and 16 minutes late. I'll I'll tell you, the only reason I went over there is I went on Instagram and I was scrolling. And Funky Dineva had posted a screenshot from Swiss Beats, who's one of the founders of Versus, and he was like, this feels disrespectful. And I was like, wait, what? I have nothing against Ashanti. I have nothing against Keisha Cole. But when they first announced there was going to be a Versus months ago, I was like, why? And then it got delayed twice. I remember Ashanti had COVID one of the times. I can't remember why the other one was delayed. But this was the third time that they were supposed to do this versus, and then to show up an hour and 15 minutes late. Patti LaBelle and Gladys Knight were on time. Those are legends. I'm just saying. But I popped in for a minute, maybe 40 or so minutes after it started, and Ashanti was on the screen. She looked really pretty. She had a microphone in front of her, and I was like, mm-mm. But she had a microphone, and she was she was singing something, and Keisha Cole was nowhere to be seen. And I was like, wait, you you left in the middle of the verses? But 1.2 million people tuned in, so I guess it will be considered a successful versus. Shout out to my Essence sister, Corey Murray, who is the interim deputy editor at Essence. She has her first editor's letter in the new issue. It's the one with Rihanna and Lorna Simpson that's currently on stands. Look, I left Essence 10 years ago this year. September of this year, it'll be 10 years. Corey had been there somewhere between seven and 10 years when I got there in 2007. Corey is a lifer. Corey is essence. I have not seen the new issue. She posted a video of herself flipping through the magazine and landing on her editor's letter on Instagram. And I was so damn proud. So congratulations, Corey Murray. I know that that essence cover has been a long time coming. I left Essence in 2011, and they had been trying to get Rihanna on the cover since then. But it's always been one of those things that that Essence really, really, really wanted. And so kudos to Corey Murray for making it happen. And also on this new issue, I'm biased, just FYI. I have no idea what's in the magazine other than 11 pictures of Rihanna. I'm featured in an ad in the new issue. It's part of a campaign that I shot in... Late October, early November, when I was in Atlanta. Many of you have seen it, and you've been screenshotting it and doing videos and DMing me and posting it and tagging me, which I greatly, greatly, greatly appreciate. If you see the ad in essence, send it to me again. And if you see the campaign anywhere else, because it's supposed to be everywhere, you can go ahead and take a picture, send a video. I'd love to see it. 
But until corporate gives me the official go-ahead, I can't officially announce it. So if you've seen it, you know who the ad is for. And if you have not, then hopefully I'll be able to tell you on an upcoming episode. Mm. The commercials for Don't Waste Your Pretty have started running. (laughs) My friend was watching a documentary on TV One, Music and the Movement. I think it was on Sunday night. And she called me screaming. And she was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. The commercial for Don't Waste Your Pretty, oh my God. And I was like, oh yeah. And she was like, did you know the commercial was running? And I was like, oh yeah. And she was like, did you not tell anyone? And I was like, honestly, no. I didn't even tell my parents. I'm so weird about stuff like this. Like a couple people have asked me, they're like, how do you feel? And I just don't get like super excited about these things. Like I acknowledge like it's goodness and it's wonderfulness, but I just don't have like these big bursts of expression or emotion over things like this. It's so weird. That's how I've always been though. Speaking of TV, All American is back. It just started Monday. I got into All American, I guess at the beginning of the pandemic. I'd never heard of the show, but they had two seasons of it on Netflix. And I found out the creator of the show was a black woman. I saw a couple people talking about it on Facebook. And I was like, I like a good teen angst show. Like that works for me. It's kind of like a black 90210. The star of the show is a black guy from South Central who plays football and is recruited to go to school at Beverly Hills High. So kind of like a Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, but he's very like righteous and noble and always tries to do the right thing. But these teenagers, they're all like 16, 17. I think they're going into their senior year. They have so many problems. Drug addiction, alcohol addiction, divorce, homelessness, adoption, single motherhood, all these conversations about race, class, shootings, drugs, gangs, everything you could possibly imagine these teenagers are dealing with. And they have like actively present parents, but still manage to just get into some shit nonstop. It's a really good show. Mm, Wendy Williams. And her brother have been publicly feuding about, I guess, about whether or not Wendy Williams attended their mother's funeral. I think her mother died a couple months ago. He says she didn't go. She says she did. And she says that not only did she attend, but that her brother fought a family member in front of the casket at the funeral. And she was concerned that mommy was going to fall out. And I was like, what? And that's not a what of judgment. That's just a what of what? I too have been to a funeral where things got out of hand. Emotions run high at funerals and weddings. Very high. Sometimes people just just lose it. I attended a wild funeral. I won't give you too many details because I don't want you to start guessing at whose funeral it was. It was not a family member of mine. It was um, a relative of a very close friend. The, The young man who passed was in the military. So we were at Arlington and the man had a wife and two young children. The wife was at the funeral. 
The children did not attend. There was a smaller service the day prior just for immediate family. The man's mistress and the mistress's mother arrived at the gravesite just as things were wrapping up. And the mistress felt fit to confront the wife. The wife is also in the military. I don't know what exactly led to the commotion. I was about to drive to the repast and I was sitting in the car plugging in the address and I look over to the side and the wife and a woman that I had seen her speaking to, I didn't know at the time that was the mistress, were rolling on the ground, like in the dirt at the funeral. And although I didn't see what led to the fight, I was told in retrospect that they were having a conversation of some sort It got heated and and the wife just hauled off and punched the shit out of her. Not slapped her, punched the shit out of her. And I was like, yeah, um, if my husband's mistress showed up at the funeral, that's bold. That's bold. I mean, you can't fight the husband because he's no longer with us. But somebody got to catch some hands. And whatever he did with this woman left her so emboldened to think that she could show up at the funeral. Well, you know, these things happen. And my friends are like of a decent set. This is not the kind of behavior that we are accustomed to, nor that we condone. Some men at the funeral ran over and tried to break up the fight. And the mistress's mother was standing between the women fighting and the men to let the women fight the fair one. That was a lot. The military police came because once again, we were at Arlington. The wife was escorted away by the MPs. I never heard follow-up about exactly what happened, so I don't think there were charges, but things get heated at funerals sometimes. That said, I would really like Wendy and her brother as as, um, salacious as their back and forth may be. I would like them to take this shit off the internet. Clearly, there are some family issues going on. I'm going to guess that this back and forth over their mother is the last straw and not the first one. I will also point out your mother dying is traumatic. It's your mom. Literally, your creator is dead. That's cool. That messes people up. Rightfully so. And they're dealing, it's, they're dealing with trauma. I'm going to guess they're dealing with a lot of unresolved family issues. And having it play out in public is not doing anything to solve those issues. It's a he said, she said, and the vast majority of people are just looking at this for drama's sake and entertainment. But this is real shit. I hope they can work things out. But step one, get this shit off the internet. This, this, get this shit off the internet. Although, there is a part of me, the cynical side of me, that wonders if this is publicity for Wendy's upcoming biopic. I think it comes out next week. Lifetime is running an ad for the film on an upcoming episode of Ratchet and Respectable. I got the ad read earlier today and the copy is something like, you've seen the drama that's played out in public, but now you find out what's behind the scenes or something like that. So I wondered if this feud with Wendy and her brother was somehow publicity for this upcoming film, because lots of people are talking. That's so cynical. But it is something I thought about. Wendy, if you give the woman nothing else, knows how to draw attention and keep multiple streams of income. She likes to check. My first big interview when I moved to New York was actually with Wendy Williams. I was an intern at One World, and they sent me to WBLS to interview Wendy Williams. 
And I asked her, I said, Wendy, I was like, why are you be telling all these people's business? And Wendy didn't miss a beat. And she was like, because it's lucrative. I was like, is that it? And she was like, yeah. It wasn't personal. It wasn't personal at all. It was just, that's the chat. Wendy's been, been saying a lot lately. Now, this, I think, is promotion for the film. A reporter asked her if she had met the baby that her husband fathered while they were still married. Yo, folks is bold as shit asking people questions like that. That's a question that could have rightfully got that reporter cursed out. This was Entertainment Tonight Canada. Wendy answered the question. She said, the baby? No. Why would I want to meet her? I don't know her. And I don't want to know her. She also suggested that her husband was at home with her when the child that he had with his mistress was born. She says of the baby, she'll want to meet me first though. Do you know where your father was the night that your mother was giving birth? He was with that lady on TV, Miss Wendy, because he was with me. Man, that's not a brag. My husband's mistress gave birth alone because my husband was with me. Ma'am, Wendy girl, Wendy girl, auntie, that's not a flex. Mm-mm. But her film comes out next week. It's described as a film that will explore her rise to prominence in media as a radio and then TV personality, as well as her battle with drug addiction and her husband's infidelity. I saw the commercials. And that's all I have to say about that. I guess we need to talk about inauguration. I assume everyone else was glued to the TV all day as I was. I canceled all meetings, all interviews. Like I was like, oh no, I'm not doing a goddamn thing but watching this inauguration. This is my personal new year. I said my new year would begin when Biden and Harris were sworn into office. I got up at... I want to say 3.30 a.m. I just could not sleep. Like I was so antsy. So when I got up, CNN was trained on the White House and Marine One was sitting outside the residence waiting for Trump and his wife to come out. Yeah. Oh, I'm skipping the good part. His final night as president, Trump issued over 140 pardons most of them to his crook friends and crooked politicians. But there were some notable black names on the list, including Lil Wayne, which I called this months ago. Right before the election, Lil Wayne came out and endorsed Trump. And I was like, huh? And then I read that he had a federal weapons charge and was facing 10 years in prison. And I was like, oh, bruh, trying to get a pardon. He is trying to pander to black people on behalf of this racist so he can get a pardon and keep his ass out of prison. And while I don't condone it, I will say that if I was facing 10 years in federal prison, there's a lot of amoral, unethical shit I might do to stay out. So I think Lil Wayne is trash for it, but I understand why he did it. I would also like to hope that he's canceled about like how Chrisette Michelle was. But I know that's not going to happen because we don't treat black men who pander to racists the same way we do black women. Like Chrisette Michelle performed for a check. I ain't saying all money is good money, but she didn't endorse the man. Lil Wayne came out with a full endorsement in exchange for freedom. 
Now, that was a gamble because, you know, Trump turns on everybody. He very well could have been like, you know, you endorse me and I'll get you that pardon. And got the endorsement and no pardon was forthcoming. That wouldn't have surprised me either. Kodak Black also got a pardon. I was shocked Trump knew who that was. I barely know who Kodak Black is. I know one song. But apparently Snoop had been lobbying Trump on behalf of Kodak Black, which I was like, really? He had that one good song. I'm sure he had others. I just have no recollection and have no desire to learn more, just FYI. The chorus was something like, people who don't believe in Jesus but wear Jesus pieces, which I thought was witty and catchy. And I was like, oh, I think I like this song. And then he came out and said some dumb shit, like dark-skinned girls are meaner and they're quote-unquote gutter. Was that 2018? He said it right before Essence Music Fest. And I went to Essence and I was hosting an event with a sponsor at a local community center that Master P had donated a bunch of TVs, computers, and Kodak Black was there as well. There was a bunch of press there too. And one of my friends was there, a dark-skinned girl who was covering the event. She'd heard his comments about dark-skinned women. And so she was like, why is he even at an Essence event? Like, he clearly doesn't like black women. And how dare you show your face and come to an event for Essence Music Festival when you don't even support black women? And she was like, I really want to interview him. Her theory was he can't possibly believe that shit. He's a dark-skinned man. The chances of him having a dark-skinned mother are very high. She was like, I'm sick of these rappers disparaging black women for publicity. And she was like, I really wonder if he'll say that shit to my face. And I was like, shit, you're a journalist. Go fucking ask him. If nothing else, that's a good story. And it'll get hits on the site. Like, you should do it. So she went over to him. And I was standing within earshot. And so she was like, hey, I see you're here at at this event for Essence, which is about empowering black women. And and he said something along the lines of like, yes, like I love black women and and blah, blah, blah. And she said, you know, I I find that, um, and, and I'm paraphrasing. And she was like, you know, I find it very interesting that you would say that given your recent comments. And he was like, comments like what? And she was like, well, you know, you said that light-skinned women are nicer and dark-skinned girls are mean and they're gutter. They have bad attitudes. You're not attracted to them. And he was like, yeah, I believe that. My friend is a beautiful chocolate complexion. She's his complexion, as a matter of fact. Clearer skin, though. Not the point. But he literally sat in her face and said that. And so she was like, okay, I'm done. I don't think she even did the story because she was like, I know it would get hit, but I don't want to give this man any more publicity. And just for clarity, the man doesn't like light-skinned women either. That comment went viral and there was a lot of backlash to it. And he did an interview with XXL afterward explaining his point of view. And he said that his preference for light-skinned women, I'm just going to read you the quote. He said, quote, light-skinned women, we can break them down more easy. You know what I'm saying? Nigga. He also came out and said that he doesn't like dark-skinned women because he doesn't like his own complexion, which I was like, well, there you have it. There the fuck you have it. I wish, I mean, he's trash, don't get me wrong, but I wish more men that have these ignorant things to say about women in complexions, if we could skip all the extra about this kind of woman is that and this kind of woman is this, let's just get to the heart of the matter. You're dealing with your own self-hate and you're projecting that shit onto women. Whether it's light-skinned women, dark-skinned women, women in general. Skip all the bullshit complaining about women and how they do and what they do and blah, blah, blah. Just start with, I hate myself. 
boom, that's it. That's all we need to know. Because, I mean, we arrive at this conclusion anyway. Let's just skip through all the bullshit and get straight to it. It makes life so much easier. But like, oh, okay, I need not try to reason with you. I need not try to understand you. I need to, like, you know, spray you with raid and walk away. I had to look up what Kodak Black was in jail for. I paid no attention to this man. I didn't even know he was locked up. He pled guilty to a weapons charge after U.S. Customs and Border Protection officers found a gun in his Cadillac Escalade. He was crossing from Canada to the U.S. I'm sorry. Did his dumbass try to take a gun across an international border? How fucking stupid can you be? Well, he's been pardoned by Trump, so he'll get out of jail. But he's still facing a sexual assault charge in South Carolina. He is accused of raping an 18-year-old woman in a hotel room after a concert in 2016. Trump also pardoned Kwame Kilpatrick. He's the former Detroit mayor. I also met him once at an NAAC party in L.A. Nice guy. His wife wanted to party and he was like, I'm tired. I'm ready to go home. That's all I remember about that interaction. I didn't even know who he was at the time. The girl I was with was like, oh, that's the mayor of Detroit. And I was like, oh, okay. I think between the pardons of Wayne Kodak Black and Kwame Kilpatrick, I probably take the most offense to the Kilpatrick one. Don't. A lot of people only know the salacious parts of his story in Detroit. Like the alleged parties at the mansion with the strippers and the diamonds in his ear, the um the sex scandal. His dumbass was exchanging racy texts with his mistress who worked for him. They were doing that on government-issued Blackberries. So all of their text messages ran in the Detroit Free Press. I remember when it went online. I was still working at Essence. And <laughs> it's a relationship editor. I can get away with saying shit that other people can't. So I was sitting at my desk reading the salacious text out loud to the office. There's a lot. It was a lot. My niggerette. That's a quote. I actually know the woman he was in a relationship with. Not his wife. The other woman. Pretty well. It's a really nice lady. I interviewed her at some point and I was like, wow, like you're normal. I don't know what I expected her to be, but she's like sensible, level-headed, like smart. Just did some dumb shit. He didn't go to jail for being like a hip hop mayor or being like too young or too black and, and people were threatened by his black excellence. This isn't like a Clinton situation where... He's impeached for essentially lying about an affair. He bankrupted the city of Detroit. Like he used the pension fund as his personal bank account. That's some serious shit. He's not there on some like, oh, they railroaded the black man. There are white politicians who have done far worse and been locked up for less time. I acknowledge the systemic racism of the American justice system. However, this mofo deserved to be in jail. You spent up the pensions, man. He's also very closely linked to a murder of um, an exotic dancer. I believe her, her, her dancer name, I believe, was Strawberry. I don't remember her government name. But I listened to this great podcast about corruption in Detroit. There was like two hour-long episodes on Kwame Kilpatrick. And I was like, he did what? He ain't deserved to be released. And a lot of my friends in Detroit are not happy about it. He's being released from jail, but I think he still owes restitution of... 1.4 million? The pardon said 4 million, but it was reduced by a judge a few years ago. I don't know where he's going to come up with the money. I don't know who's hiring him. 
Oh, well. But Trump is gone for now. He left the White House late on Wednesday morning, but he was about 20 minutes late boarding the helicopter, and he took a tour around D.C. I was actually nervous watching that helicopter fly around. I think I've watched too many D.C. attack movies. Like, the plane was just flying around, taking in the views, and I just watched White House Down after the insurrection at the Capitol because people kept making allusions to it. It's very Olympus Has Fallen. Have you seen that? I like blow-up shit movies. But worse dialogue and more action. Jamie Foxx plays the president. He's so corny in this movie. You know it's one of those movies he just took because the check was good. And I'm not mad at him. Like, it's not an embarrassment. Baby's gotta eat. In the film, Jamie Foxx, as the president, it's a thing that he likes to fly around D.C. and take in the sites, particularly the Washington Monument. So when I saw Marine One just flying around the city, I thought of the views, which are gorgeous. I haven't ever seen them in person, but as shown in the Jamie Foxx movie. But for some weird reason, I was like, I wonder if a missile's going to hit the helicopter. Or I wonder if it'll be a malfunction and fall out of the sky. That's such a weird thought. But then, like, everything about the Trump presidency has been so dramatic and confusing And made for good TV as opposed to like good policy and what's best for the people or what aligns with logic and common sense. So maybe that's why I thought it. I don't know. It's nuts. I know. But we're like living in nutso times and we have been forever where like the unthinkable actually happens. Anything's possible for the finale of the Trump presidency. Fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you look at it. The helicopter landed safely at Andrews Air Force Base for a farewell rally with a few, and I do mean a few. They never did show the crowd, but when the crowd was yelling, it didn't sound like a lot of people. Don Lemon was like, I don't think it was 50 people. Mike Pence was not there. He was at inauguration. Mitch McConnell, he was not there. He was at the inauguration. And actually, I think at the time, he was at church with Joe Biden. He could have made it to Trump's farewell. He was like, no, nah, I'm going to go to church with the new guy. Um, best of luck to you. Good, good day. But Trump gave a little speech where he just lied, just lied. Oh, it was the greatest economy in the world until COVID. And I was like, yes, but the COVID is the important part. And was it the greatest economy in the world? Trump interchangeably talks about the stock market and the economy as if they are one in the same. And they're not like the economy is tanking right now, but the stock market is through the roof. That don't help people who don't have stock, which most people don't. I don't know how long Trump is actually gone for. He's facing a second impeachment trial, which is fucking embarrassing. Essentially, it's the second time charges have been filed on him. A trial in the Senate has to determine his guilt. And I think it's two-thirds majority. So 10 Republicans have to flip. will determine his guilt. And a lot of people have asked, like, well, you know, what difference does it make? He's no longer in office. If he is found guilty by the Senate, they can keep him from ever holding public office again. Trump at one point was threatening to run again in 2024, which God, no. But also if he's found guilty, he would lose his lifetime pension. He would lose his annual travel budget. He wouldn't get funding for an office and staff. He would still be entitled to Secret Service protection, but Congress can amend that law. But Congress can amend that law so that he loses his benefits. So as much as I would like to see him go, we are not done yet. 
when I was watching the news earlier today, they were talking about Trump's impeachment trial interrupting Biden's first 100 days. All of Biden, and then the Senate needs to approve all of Biden's nominees for various secretary of XYZs. So they were talking about like delaying the impeachment trial or if there should be an impeachment trial. And I was like, yes, yes, the man needs to be held accountable. Like he is the cause of an insurrection at the Capitol. Like, yes. We talked about this whole like, oh, let's unite. Let's move on. We can. After there's been some accountability and consequences, then we can move on. At least an apology. The man won't even acknowledge he did anything wrong. Jesus. In better news, Joe Biden is now officially the president of the United States. I'm actually proud of Joe. He has emerged as a competent and compassionate and, dare I say, charismatic leader. When he was vice president to Barack Obama, he was Uncle Joe. He was the foil. He was the drunk uncle who would say whatever. He's gone from drunk uncle to, dare I say, like Godfather Joe. He exudes calm and common sense and reason and logic. I was very scared of of what a Biden presidency would look like. I voted for Joe Biden because he was not Trump. I would have voted, I would have voted for anybody. But he's actually come through and, and shown good metal. And sometimes I want him to like just flip out. Especially with like Trump and his shenanigans, like the insurrection at the Capitol. Like Joe was so calm at the press conference. Like he put some bass in his voice. But you know, I'm at home ranting and raving and screaming because there's an insurrection at the Capitol. And Joe was like, You need to come on TV and you need to tell these people to stop. Like he was just very um angry, but even. He keeps a level head, which I was like, this is why you're a leader and I'm not. But he reminds me of that Kipling poem, If, about the measure of a man. And I keep this quote on my wall. I don't do post-its, but I have index cards of various quotes around my apartment. And one of them is, if you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you, yours is the earth and everything that's in it. Those are lines from like two different stanzas of the poem joined together. But stay with me. I actually felt bad for Joe on inauguration day because he was up at 7 a.m. going to church. And then he had to go to inauguration. And then after inauguration, he was in the car and he got out and walked to the White House. And then he went in the White House and went to work. He was signing like 17 executive orders trying to undo the crazy shit Trump did. And I was like, look, I know you said you're going to be ready on day one, but like, I didn't think you literally meant day one. I would have been fine if you just, you know, day one was just like the inauguration. And then on the afternoon of day two, you decided, you know, we're going to start now and do some work. I mean, I was impressed, but I was also concerned. All I did that whole day was watch the inauguration and talk about it online. That's it. And I needed a nap around like five or six o'clock. So I went to sleep. And then when I woke back up, Tom Hanks was introducing Joe Biden at the Lincoln Memorial. And I was like, Joe still going? I was like, I hope he got some rest, at least got something to eat. But Joe kicked off the televised inauguration celebration. And then we zoomed back to the balcony of the White House. And Joe and Dr. Jill are on the balcony. And all these fireworks are going off, which what was the budget for those fireworks? And I've done the National Mall fireworks a few times. I have never seen fireworks like that. That said, 
It was 10 p.m. Joe has been going for 15 hours straight. I took a nap and I didn't have an inauguration. I felt bad for him. And people were like, well, that's his job. And I was like, Joe, oh, Joe needs a nap. I want Joe to work. I do. But I want Joe to work like a nice, like six hour day and then designate. I want Joe to make it through this term. You know, I didn't realize how much anxiety I had about the insurrection at the White House, but also Trump in general, until I watched Biden and Vice President Harris get sworn in. I just had this deep feeling of relief, like he's gone. Just like watching the inauguration and seeing order and decency and even tradition was weirdly soothing in a way that I didn't expect. And I'm not naive about what America is. I fully recognize that for all the hope that we had during the Obama years, there was also a lot of bullshit, not necessarily from Obama, but from America. Like you have the first black president, but you also have the emergence of Black Lives Matter, which kicks off Essentially, what we're in is the second civil rights movement. I don't know if people are fully aware of that or not, but that's what's happening right now. I don't have some expectation that because Biden is in charge or because we have a black vice president or the Senate, the House and the president are Democrats. Like, I don't think America is going to have some rapid change, but it just feels like somebody took the knee off your neck. They still got you down on the ground. They still fucking you up. You're still going to suffer. You're just not going to suffer as much, which I know is really, I mean, some people might call it pessimistic. I'm just, I call it being a realist. Like I don't expect some massive change. I don't expect some massive change. I just expect it will be as bad as it was before Trump, which we thought was intolerable until we got to Trump. I was listening to commentators discuss the inauguration and they were putting a good spin on it. And they were saying that, you know, despite Trump and all of his antics, that America survived, democracy survived. And this is a show of the strength and endurance of democracy that it could withstand so many assaults, literally an assault on the Capitol, but democracy could prevail and then we could move forward with this transition of power. To some degree, it's true. But in the same way that Trump couldn't sink democracy, and I'm speaking of democracy as an institution, I wonder how much Biden can change it because institutions don't really change. They're designed not to. So maybe we get out of COVID someday, which will help immensely. But the systemic problems that affect America, most of them being economic and race, which were the problems when America was founded, like, do those ever change? Because that's part of the institution. Like to, to really address those, to really change those, to really make things equal or better for the so-called underclass, the so-called lower class, for anybody with melanin, that is a massive change to the institution and institutions don't change. And then there are still like 74 million, 74 million, 76 million people who voted for Trump, who watched this man do all of the vile things that he did for four years I've made a list before. I won't redo it now. You all know what it is. But like, but there's still like over 70 million Americans walking among us who were very fine, 
with everything that Trump did and wanted another four years of that bullshit. Biden gets elected. Okay. But what do we do about those people that we have to coexist with? Where do they go? They've arrested like a hundred some odd people that stormed the Capitol, but there were thousands of them out there. We got to live amongst those crazy mofos. Biden's election doesn't erase all of that. What else happened? Oh, obviously Kamala Harris is the first woman vice president, the first black vice president, and the first South Asian vice president all in one person, which is an amazing feat. I am genuinely happy for her. I'm happy for her. I'm happy for black women. I'm happy for black girls. I'm happy for girls. I'm happy for women. I think probably in that exact order. I also worry about her. I remember, as, as you do as well, how bad folks came for Michelle Obama. And she was the first lady. It's an unpaid job. It's essentially an ornamental role. But just nothing she did was right. The woman made a whole mission about getting kids healthy and people complained. Who, who complains about healthy children? America. Kamala Harris is a woman. She is a black woman. And she has immense power as vice president. If nothing else, with this 50-50 Senate, she's a tiebreaker. I don't think she's going to take on the role that we've seen of most vice presidents, which is play the backdrop and do the shit the president doesn't want to do. I don't, I don't think she's going to, to take that role. I think she's going to be very out front as she has been thus far and very visible. And the think pieces, the commentaries, the attacks, I think it's going to be brutal. And I feel bad for her in advance. She's going to need a lot of prayer and a lot of upliftment, especially from black women, because really we, we all we got to really rely on. I've seen tons of commentary from black men just going in on her. They're not letting that cop thing go. She's married to a white guy, which means she hates black men, which I was like, like, are you serious with this fragile shit right now? Like, really, like, may God bless her. I actually I'm very, very happy for her. I'm also terribly scared for her. Notably, I am not mentioning what she wore to inauguration. I am taking a hands-off approach on Kamala's fashion. Unless it's something extremely good or extremely bad, I, I don't want to offer commentary on it. And only because her job is to lead. Her job is not to be a fashionista. Like, I would love it if she released the fabric. But she got shit to do. And if she wants to wear the same pantsuit every day or she wants to put on a potato sack, if she can get us out this COVID mess, I don't care what she wears. I really don't. But her husband, Mr. Dougie, I want that man treated like every spouse that's ever been in the White House. I want to know what fabric he's wearing. I want think pieces on what his ties mean. If he doesn't wear a tie, I want 1,500 words. I want to know about his shoes. I want to know about his cuffs. If he gets a new haircut, I want full commentary on it. Treat that man, treat that man who was a first for the White House. He is the first male spouse. I want to know his cologne. I want to know about the cut of his pants. I want to know every minute, insignificant detail about what he wears. Just on GP. 
subject that man to the same scrutiny that they've given to every female spouse that's been in the White House. It's only right. It's only fair. I saw this piece in uh, USA Today, and the headline was, Will Vice President Kamala Harris change how corporate America sees and treats black women? They found one person to say yes. Everybody else in the article was like, eh. When I read the headline, I was like, she was a whole black senator. I mean, the senator from California. But okay, even the senator from California, did that change the way black women are treated in corporate in California? No. She was a U.S. senator. Did that change the way people treated black women? No. So I don't understand why. Oh, she's vice president. Remember when Barack Obama got elected, people were like, oh, we're post-racial. Like, no, we're not. A black person just got elected. That's it. That's where it begins and ends. There was a black first. After 43 other presidents who were all white men, you finally went with a black guy. But literally, the article found one person who was like, yes, I have faith. She was the vice president of research at a nonprofit research organization. And she was like, yeah, I'm, I'm counting on it. That we will take this watershed moment and use, it as an oppor- and use it as an opportunity to break down barriers for women of color. Mm, okay. Everybody else in the article was like, yeah. There was a Dia Harvey Wingfield, just sociology professor at Washington University in St. Louis. She was like, mm, <laughs> I wish I could say that Kamala Harris's ascension to the vice presidency would portend a change for black and brown women in corporate America. But there's really nothing to suggest that that will be the case. She added, I do not mean to downplay Kamala Harris's achievement. It is a momentous one that has important and critical symbolic and representational significance. But there's no reason to believe that her singular accomplishment is going to mean a wholesale shift in corporate policy, culture, and norms. And that's what it would take to see a sea of change for black and brown women in these settings. There's another professor of sociology and criminology at the University of Iowa. And he pointed out that eight years of President Obama did little to boost representation of black men on the nation's corporate campuses and in its office towers. Ray also pointed out that when black people get into prominent positions of power, that, quote, there is often a backlash, and we have been living through that backlash for four years. He's alluding to Trump's presidency and all the crazy shit that came with it. I will talk about Michelle Obama's fashion, because ma'am showed up looking like Netflix money, looking like a million books sold, hardcover. Ma'am showed up and showed out. Now, I said what she had on was burgundy. Other people were like ox blood, looking like a fine Cabernet. The cameras caught her walking through the Capitol before she burst through the doors onto the stage they had set up on the Capitol. I gasped when I saw her. She's like a superhero. The big belt, that hair, ma'am got the finest of bundles. Where, where was that hair from? Was that Peruvian? Those bundles were beautiful. That hair was just a bouncing. Sometimes all you could say is damn. And that's how I felt when Michelle Obama walked out. I was like, God damn. Like Michelle Obama arrived at the inauguration and she brought her husband, the former president. Michelle just came out like a bag of money. I was like, ma'am, you are spending that Netflix check well, 
Remember Cardi was like, I got a bag and fix my teeth. Mother Michelle got that Netflix bag and was like, you know what? I'm about to stun on y'all. A stark contrast, a stark, a very stark contrast to the last inauguration, Trump's inauguration that she attended. She wore a similar color that day. She didn't even bother to do her hair. She showed up as the outgoing first lady of the United States with a snatchback. Her hair was neat. It was combed back, but you could tell she did it that morning. She didn't even sleep with a scarf on. That wasn't tied down. It wasn't slicked. She just found some extra hair laying around, wrapped it on the back, and was like, we good. Face was not beat. Did not care. Looked like she did not care. Was disgusted. She said in her book, she was like, I was just over it at that point. Like, I had nothing else to give. Like, I just couldn't believe people voted for this fool. But baby, Wednesday, she gave everything. She gave it. She served it. She just, she looked amazing. Did George W., I know he saw her. I saw a picture of not just the two of them together. It was like four people in the photo. Four people. It was George Bush, his wife, Laura, Barack Obama, and Michelle. But I saw them in the photo. But I always look forward to their little special moments together when he hands her a mint. He loves that woman so much. He would risk it all for Michelle Obama. I wonder if Laura knows that. Like, does she see it in her husband's eyes the way that I see it? I know he liked to fell out when he saw Michelle at the inauguration. Stunning and stunting. Gaga, she was there. She sang the national anthem while wearing a gigantic dove, a gold dove, which people were like, Gaga's dressed for the Hunger Games. All things considered of what Gaga could have showed up in, because you know, she, she, the meat dress. She likes to get out there. She likes to get free sometimes. Of all things she could have showed up in, that was actually tame. That was actually really tame for Gaga. She can sing. Let, let me state that up front. I did not care for her version of the national anthem. And I don't know if that's because like, I'm partial to the Whitney version or even the Usher version. Usher did a beautiful version of the national anthem. I did not care for Gaga's national anthem, but I am acknowledging that Gaga can sing. I just didn't think that that was her best rendition of the song. Jennifer Lopez, nine times out of 10, a beautiful gown. She puts on an amazing show when she is performing, when she is doing a full performance, when she gets to dance, usually to a track, she does an amazing job. J-Lo is, is not the person you call when you just need somebody to stand at a microphone and sing. I was happy that she was there representing the Latino community. She spoke a little Spanish. I feel good about that. I thought that was a great nod to inclusion. I felt great about it. She was off key. And then at some point she yells like, let's get loud. Was that in the middle of America the Beautiful or the other one? I was like, ma'am, this is not the time to promote your single. I've read that let's get loud is a call to action for the Latino community to like, I don't know, get involved, rebel. I don't, I don't know. But I was like, you couldn't have just said that in Spanish? The Young Poet Laureate, Amanda Gorman. I am in awe of this young woman. She's 22 years old. She's got three books. She's a Harvard graduate. She makes me want to burn my notebook. But I'm equally as impressed with her poetry as I am with just her. Like her confidence and her poise. I I want to be her. I want to be like her when I grow up. Like she's amazing. She did this interview on Anderson Cooper because her story wasn't like great enough as is. She was explaining to Anderson that until two or three years ago, she had a speech impediment. 
she had difficulty pronouncing her R's. So she was explaining to Anderson how she would listen to this particular song in Hamilton and she trained herself to pronounce her words better. I was like, what can't this girl do? It's amazing. Just as smart and phenomenal and gorgeous on top of that. Like Anderson was in awe too. I read that. I think she has a third book coming out. But her two already released books are number one and number two on Amazon. Barack Obama's autobiography is number four. I can't wait to see more from her. Like, I need to go buy the book. I'm not a big poetry person, but I'm like, I just, I want to support her. I want, I want a little coin in her pocket. The new administration is off to a good start, sort of. They announced in so many words earlier today that the vaccine rollout is trash. That Trump and them really didn't do shit. Fauci came back and was like, I wouldn't say you're starting from nothing. Like, you know, it's not that. And I was like, sir, you're personally tied to it. It was not a personal attack on you. But we were supposed to have all these people vaccinated. And is it, we're supposed to have all these people vaccinated. And I want to say it's like 3% of the country got the first shot. And maybe 1% got both. Like, it's terrible. Biden has pledged 100 million vaccinations in the first 100 days, which, bruh, that sounds like a lot. They're getting FEMA involved and they're getting the National Guard involved. We're going to have a federal response to the vaccinations this time. So everyone who's been hired in the administration so far that we've seen appears to have common sense, education and experience. So maybe we can get it right this time. American is rejoining the World Health Organization, which it made no sense for us to leave, especially in the middle of a global pandemic. We're also back in the Paris Climate Accord, which I saw some senator, was it, um, was it Ted Cruz? But some senator was like, why does the administration care more about the citizens of Paris than they do about the citizens of America? And I was like, are, are, are you serious right now? Like the Paris Climate Accord is only called that because that's the city where the, the, the meeting took place. Biden has not forgiven student loans, but he has extended payback until September of this year. The Muslim ban has been lifted. He's halted funding for that stupid wall that Trump was building. And he got rid of the 1776 was the 1776 Project, the 1776 Commission. It was a direct response to the 1619 Project, which obviously acknowledges the first enslaved Black people who arrived in America. Trump responded with 1776, which obviously Declaration of Independence. And he released that stupid shit, not on Martin Luther King's direct birthday, but on the holiday where we celebrated, so Monday. If you didn't get a chance to read it, it was trash. You missed nothing. Biden's already had it taken off the government website, hopefully never to be seen again. But essentially, it tried to like justify American slavery and was like, you know, yes, slavery happened. But America's not like the only place where it happened. It's not like we did some shit that nobody else was doing. You know, I was like, really? Really? You put this shit in writing? The level of that man's racism. Jesus. Oh. Biden, on the other hand, 
has vowed to like take down white supremacy. Sir, that's more ambitious than 100 million vaccines in 100 days. Now that you might be able to do, take down white supremacy in America? You can't erase 400 years of bullshit in four years. But I respect you for trying though. I do. So that is our episode of Ratchet and Respectable. Thank you, as always, for listening. There is Ratchet and Respectable merchandise available on the site. I added a few sizes. I had to have a few sweatshirts reprinted because they didn't come out right. So if you're interested in merch, there may or may not be merch in your size on the site. And you can pick up that Ratchet and Respectable merch at DemetriaLLucas.com. If you need some Ratchet and Respectable in your life between now and Tuesday, next week, you can follow me on social media at Demetria L. Lucas. As always, thank you for listening, and we will talk again soon. Tuesday. Okay. Bye.